Welcome to Saving the Game. This is episode 48, Trustworthy Characters, recorded Thursday, September 18th of 2014, with your hosts, Peter and Brandon. Welcome to Saving the Game. I'm Peter. And I'm conflicted about what joke to use. Also known as Brandon. He really is. He went through about a half dozen of them before we started recording. Mm -hmm. And he's apparently decided on none of the above. Yeah, I figured I could save a whole bunch of them. I mean, I suppose the one that I really want to go into is, I got a girlfriend! Woohoo! Congratulations. Yes. Thank you, Peter. While I'm congratulating you, you also made it to Save Against Fear. Mm -hmm. And before we dig into that, which I want to hear all about, we have a couple of other quick announcements. First of all, episode 50 is coming up in two episodes. We will be uh, doing that as a live audience participation recording. So we'll be on the mics and you'll be able to interact with us via a chat room or something if you are so inclined. The date for that is going to be Thursday, October 16th, I believe. Mm -hmm. So if you are interested in bugging us with questions about, I think it's going to be interesting characters is going to be the topic. And we'll probably take some general ones too. So mark your calendars for that. Um, It's going to be 6 p.m. Central, 7 Eastern, 5 Mountain, and I guess 4 Pacific. If you're outside of the United States, you're kind of on your own. And for those of you who are wondering why we are grantless yet again, no, he has not fallen back into the robot. No, he's just on vacation this week. (laughs) I think we had covered that slightly in an episode, but I think it would be good to announce that. Yeah, he mentioned it last episode, I think, that he was going to be gone for this one. Yeah, he's not suffering from an illness. Nothing tragic has happened. For once, we have a host that's missing because they're just off at the beach with their spouse (laughs) having a nice vacation. So we wish him much rest and relaxation. He's had a busy and hectic and stressful last couple of months, and we can't wait for him to come back next episode. We're not particularly worried about him this time. Speaking of relaxing, fun things you do with significant others... I went to Save Against Fear, as we discussed earlier. Tell me all about that, because of of all the conventions in the United States, that's one of the two that I most wish I could go to that I can't. (laughs) Save Against Fear is really, really awesome. I played in a whole lot of good games. The first game I played was Necessary Evil, where I played a Lex Luthor, Osmandius-type pacifistic villain who just kind of sat back and it was a really fun way to kick off the con. Really? You sat back and plotted and schemed? Mm-hmm. How out of character for you. <laughs> oh, yes. Yes. <laughs> Our supervillain played a supervillain. <laughs> wow. <laughs> yeah, I, I've made that joke a couple times. Got punched in the face twice by another party member who was upset that I made a ploy at the very beginning. Hopefully in-game and not out of. It was totally in-game and out of. But the odd thing is we actually ended up playing with Another girl who was actually working at the convention who just randomly happened to be in every single game I played, basically. That happened to me a little bit at the last Fear the Con. I bumped into uh, our graphic designer, Ruben Smith-Semple, and the guy who goes by Voodoo Twisted on the Fear the Boot forums in multiple slots. It's kind of interesting. If you want to figure out who in your small con-going community you have a lot in common with, 
sign up for some games and see who you're always with. <laughs> yeah. First day we only played Necessary Evil. The next day was a first a Spirit of the Century game, which was kind of fun. I played a, a magic-using trickster person called Orson the Magnificent, who was awesome. He had an assistant named Tanya and a magical trunk. That was fun. And then I played Shadowrun, and I may have fallen and run with Shadowrun, like, totally and completely. <laughs> it's a great setting. It's a great setting, and it's a pretty good system, too, I think. Which edition did you play? Fifth edition, the newest edition. Okay, I have zero experience with fifth edition. I've no. seen the book once briefly, but I've never tried character creation or much less playing, but it's good to hear. It seems like character creation might be a little more complicated than I'm used to, but then again, I'm used to Monster Hunter. So Monster Hearts is made like, character creation, go. You're done in five seconds. You're an angsty teenager with supernatural abilities. Okay, moving <laughs> along. Yeah, and this one is a little more in-depth. One of the things I liked about the game was we were actually playing with someone who works at Catalyst Labs, I believe. So he was a really great spokesperson for the game and explaining it to us and making it interesting even when we didn't understand things. And it was just fun. And I liked how being a magic caster felt different than being a decker, which felt different than being a rigger, which felt different than being a street samurai. I feel like we all had our own separate little roles and we could all do things that didn't feel like, oh, well, we're just you know, doing basic attack against you. It doesn't matter. This is just my flavor text. Which I think that's always been one of the strengths of the, uh, the Shadowrun setting and probably the system as well is that you can kind of feel the difference between those archetypes to tangent a little bit again i know in the Shadowrun returns video game that harebrained studios put out mm -hmm. you can definitely get that sense in there too and if you're finding you like the setting that game would be right up your alley oh i already very... have it okay all right yeah. cool <laughs> have you gotten the expansion for it yet dragonfall i have not but i might it's really good all right the story right. is really good <laughs> So right, the second night, that, then that night we got sort of gotten an impromptu game of All Flesh Must Be Eaten, where we were military people going through a downed cruise ship and fighting some of the most horrific monsters I've ever seen. And, and I basically elected myself, I'm rear guard, because I'm going to get out of here. And for the most part, it was fun. It was getting a little late, and there were some people in the game that, <laughs> that I got into a semi-argument with. Huh. I nearly shot another player in the head. <laughs> well, that's that's part of zombie fiction is, you know, the tension and conflict. So oh, yeah. I think you guys were playing it correctly. Yeah. They weren't bitten. I was just, okay, I'm shooting you. Yeah, I know yeah. what you are saying. That's still part of the conventions of the genre. Uh, but anyway, no, yes. you're not an actual hazard, but I just can't stand you anymore. <laughs> blam, blam, blam. Yeah, so that was, that, was, that was kind of fun. I played in the next day, actually a game of fiasco in which okay so now i'm the only um stg host who's never played fiasco how was it oh it's awesome i have it i'm i'm thinking about starting doing some games of fiasco online so i'd love to have you uh <laughs> wait you're gonna you're gonna be running roughly 6849 games online now? fiasco is a one-shot game thing so it's not like it continues you get together it's like playing a board game more than playing a role-playing game. It's oh, I know. Just, I've I've yeah. gathered as much from Grant and other sources. Yes. Yeah, it'd be fun sometime. Mm -hmm. And so, uh, probably sometime in the spring after the holiday madness is oh, yeah. over. Oh, yeah. I ended up uh, kind of winning Fiasco because I was the conniving director uh, who then turned out to be female because of the 
relationships we built. And I basically was orchestrating the murder of another character and, like, putting the two people who I was in illicit affairs with on the, you know, line for murder while keeping my hands completely clean of it. You are a supervillain. You are a straight-up actual supervillain. Like, for real. (laughs) You scare me. (laughs) I played in a new Kickstarter game there called Time Warp Vortex, which is a generic system. It It was somewhat interesting. And the final game we played in was Dresden Files. And I again played Orson the Magnificent, because it was just hilarious to do that. Uh, I actually got handed a spellcaster character, and um, uh, there was this wall of dead bards thing. Okay. Where if you had a character died, you got to make a tombstone for it and put it up on the wall. And I, I wanted a character to die, so as the final action of the game, my character used uh, basically the death curse, which all magic users has, where you use your own life energy to fuel an awesomely powerful spell. And in the Dresden File system, they've modeled it so that like that spell is huge. You can do like 32 shifts of power, which is like hitting people with over a nuclear blast in the face directed entirely at them instead of all spreading out. Wow. And so I did that to uh, destroy the big huge demon thing. The other interesting thing that they did is they had this achievement tracker and like a list of each game we all voted for who was the best role player who was the best tactician, and who was the most creative. I think in most of those games, I won at least one of those, if not two. <laughs> Very nice. Yeah. At the end, I actually apparently got a most uh, achievements for there, and I won a free ticket to the next con. So I'm going again next year. Sweet. Mm-hmm. Very nice. Indeed. But all in all, it was a great con. I want everyone else to come out and do that. I also got in touch with a lot of people from the Grown As Gamers podcast. I actually did a little interview with them, so hopefully that will be out. We're going to be in touch with them some more. And next year, I'm looking forward to going back and possibly running some games and playing in more awesome games. Fantastic. Mm-hmm. I'm so jealous. I wish I could have afforded to go. I understand. Yeah, I I think Save Against Fear is um is to you as Fear the Con is to me though. It's within convenient traveling distance, and that helps, right? Yeah, like being able to go up is pretty awesome. All right, so um, our topic tonight is trust in player groups and trust in character groups, and we have two verses tonight. Proverbs ten nine: Whoever walks in integrity walks securely but he who makes his ways crooked will be found out. Luke 16.10 One who is faithful in a very little is also faithful in much. One who is dishonest in a very little is also dishonest in much. This was a topic that Grant came up with, and he just happens to not be here for it. So we're going to put our own spin on it because we're the ones who are actually here. Indeed. And I want to break this out into two main categories, trust at the table and trust in the game. Player characters, never trust them. <laughs> Spoken like a GM. I think probably we should start with trust in the game and then get to at the table as we kind of usually do for these types of topics. What do you think? Sure. And Peter, you've outlined four questions here. Actually, I believe that was Grant. but Oh, so Grant outlined four questions <laughs> Yeah. Here. All right. So the first one that we've got is... Why do player characters refuse to trust NPCs? Because they're jerks. 
Really? You're, you're going to just leave that sitting there? Like, as, as someone who has dealt with this in the past, and as, as a GM and somewhat tongue-in-cheek, that would be my response. Is a lot of times player characters don't want to trust NPCs because they're afraid of what you're going to do with them. And they're not willing to surrender over into the story. I think there's a couple of factors to unpack this a little bit. And I'm not saying that I'm not guilty of that. I'm a jerk too. I have not trusted NPCs just because. Or, you know, not trusted an NPC because, oh well, it's going to be funny to watch the GM squirm. (laughs) Right, but I think there's some rational reasons why they don't. And I'd like to get into that a little bit. So I think the first one is kind of a cultural one in the tabletop role-playing community. And that is that GMs, and this kind of, I think, goes back to the old D&D Dungeon Crawl first edition roots. GMs, for better or for worse, and I would argue often for worse, especially these days, kind of have a stereotype as being adversarial, even if they aren't. Players are always kind of constantly on the lookout for the GM to screw them, to hose them, to do something that uh, makes the lives of them or their player characters miserable and or short. So I think... Players that have never personally had an experience with a GM that played that way or only had that experience when it was kind of intentionally called out beforehand, hey, we're going to do an old style dungeon crawl. I'm going to be really adversarial for, for this. And then the next campaign, I'll go back to being my normal story driven self. I think even characters that have had, quote unquote, healthy relationships with their game masters are probably a little gun shy just because of the prevalence of the stereotype what do you think oh i i totally agree well like the, the gm is playing the opposing force no matter which way you slice it they are against the pcs at some point now they're against the pcs not to defeat them and you know lead them to utter doom and despair unless that's the type of game they're playing but usually against them to make it a good and interesting story i know i have in my games done things that kind of jerked around the player's plans. Like in the recent Dresden Files game, a character was sort of led to a equipment closet in a hospital that he was visiting. And this was one of the wizards because they were visiting a sick person. And it was sort of hinted that the person might need trouble or might just be trying to flirt with this wizard. It turned out to be neither. The person was red court infected and tried to rip the wizard's throat out. In his defense, his original strike was magic. And then as the fight went on, I started kind of saying, this person isn't using their claws or fangs on you. You kind of notice that they aren't actually a red court vampire for you. So your using magic on her could have led to something horrible. And that was sort of seen as, oh, well, this is the GM trying to, you know, mess me up and screw me over and things like that. And I'm like, I get that. But it's it was because of certain things. A, it was the daytime. Vampires tend to not to attack or go out in the daytime. That whole sunlight thing. Yeah, the whole sunlight thing. The other thing that uh, actually just happened last game is they came up with this plan. They were going to go up to this guy's house, and for no reason they were going to pose as cops and be under illusions. And I knew something about this house that they had no way of knowing, which was that none of their powers would work as soon as they got up on the porch. And... So when like they're like, aha, we're under these illusions, and they look really good, and they walk up onto the porch, and it's all gone. Okay. I did it, th- I did it there because they were all already complaining, like, oh, we're tired, we want to end the session early. I'm like, no, no, I need to show you guys what's going to happen. And there's a reason for it. This is going to be released after we do it, 
the reason for it is basically because we're playing in New Orleans, there's a whole lot of voodoo traditions. And we've already introduced into the game the character of Baron Samity, who is the voodoo... He's the law of death, right? Yes, yeah. Uh, and magic and other stuff like that. He's he's played a, a pretty big part in it. And it just so happens that the person that they were going to interrogate was a what we call Walmart voodoo purveyor. He has this huge store called Marie's that sells not real magic to people. And this guy sometimes dresses up like Baron Samity. So the skull face paint and the top hat and all yeah. that. Yeah, uh, it's safe to say Baron Samity does not particularly enjoy this. However, the guy also is actually something of a philanthropist. He actually kind of takes in a whole bunch of orphans out of nothing but the goodness of his heart. And because it does make him look good. Like, it's a little bit of an image thing, but not so much as like, oh, well, you know, he's doing this for bad and he's actually using them for slave labor. No, no, he's he's actually treating the kids really well. He's a really good person, but he's just this jerk. He's got a little bit of pride. Yeah, he's he's a jerk to the players. So, but the Baron, who also, as I've read, enjoys kids, and uh, especially because of his his wife, is like, all right, well, um, this guy is good to kids and he's watching over them. So, killing him not a good thing, but making sure that not that none of the magic that he messes with ever works ever a totally good thing. <laughs> so. This guy sort of has an anti-magic bubble around him and his house and anywhere he does a ritual because they don't want actual magic happening with this guy. Like, no, I'm not giving you this power. In fact, I'm taking it away from you. <laughs> you keep it up and I will move up to poking you with a stick. Yeah. Oh, like, he's he's perfectly fine with this. He's like, look, the dude's, the dude's not hurting me, like... I mean, he's taking care of these people. Well, that's, that's why yeah. I said poking you with a stick and not, you know, like casting your destroyed bits into the underworld yeah. or something. Yeah, and and the thing is, there's actually a, another player character who uh, has angered Baron Samity in this game, and uh, pretty quickly, if the character doesn't kind of uh, stop doing that, he may find himself without magic powers also. Because uh, Baron will be like, look, you're, you're a practitioner of my art. You've disrespected me. I'm trying to teach you respect. If you don't want respect, fine, you don't have magic. Like, I'm not letting you use my gifts and, like, be this jerk because I'm the Baron. Yeah. This is not how it works. Yeah. All right. So the second reason why I think this tends to be common is that player characters tend to be the kind of people who are going to be a little bit suspicious in the real world. I mean, think about it. The real world that we live in figure out what kinds of people would be like adventuring professions, law enforcement, criminals, soldiers, you know, high level academics that, you know, those sorts of people tend to be a little suspicious because they've either um, they've either got dangerous enemies in the case of law enforcement or um, criminals in this case on the other side of the law, whichever side they happen to be on, or there's people that want to exploit them for what they have to save themselves work, like the academics, you know, stealing research or corporate espionage or that sort of thing. So in in that kind of a context, it's actually not all that illogical for player characters to go around being a little bit suspicious. Would you agree? I mean... Oh, yeah. Like, there is certain characters who are going to look at you cross-eyed or, like, 
stink-eyed and be like, why are you doing this? Like, I don't like well, this. Well, have you ever talked to somebody who's been in law enforcement for more than 20 years? No. Okay, I have on numerous occasions, and you get the impression that they only ever half believe anything you tell them. <laughs> like, hi, my name is, you know, is such and such. You reach out, shake their hand, and they're looking at you like, is that your real name? Is that an alias? Who are you really? <laughs> Why are you shaking my hand? Are you working an angle on me? And it's just yeah, that is terrifying. It's not universal, but I've I've met enough of those people throughout the criminal justice program that I was in where it's definitely a thing that can happen in the real world. Oh yeah, oh yeah. But anyway, like I, I can see that happening, but I can also see the the wide-eyed adventurers who are getting in this for totally the wrong reason. Who like oh, of course we trust this person. Oh, the guy with the black cloak? Yeah, I trust him. And you you do have to love those people when they're willing to just jump into their PCs. Well, and I mean, there you kind of have the other typical type of player character is you have people that are starting on the hero's journey, right? You know, you've got these ordinary people that are rising to greatness, the Luke Skywalkers and stuff of the world. And they tend to be a little more wide-eyed and you know, less suspicious. Oh, sometimes. Sometimes they're really skeptical and wide-eyed and, and they're more suspicious of everything. Uh, whereas I can see characters who've been out there for a little bit while, while who sort of settled into a routine, laying back and being like, ah, I'm good. Like, I'll get out of it. Like, oh, so this guy's, this guy's gonna, you know, mess me over? Eh, I got 20 dice. Like, what are you gonna do? <laughs> That's kind of like the big dog, little dog thing. Yeah. Huge dogs tend to be very laid back. They're like, eh, if it tries something, I'll just step on it. Whatever. My <laughs> <laughs> little dogs are always like, I am important! Yeah. I will not through your Achilles tendon. If you... <laughs> <laughs> I am big and vicious and mean! <laughs> it's like, yeah, yeah, you're a min pin. You, you weigh like five pounds. You don't scare me. <laughs> Boom! Could kick you over the fence. If I tried hard enough, but then that would be cruelty. Yes, and then you would, and then you would be uh, affirming their mistrust of you. Yeah. <laughs> All right, moving on. Um, next question we've got here is: How do you convince players that they should trust NPCs? And, and, and my joke here was with you know cattle prods and hot fireplace pokers and mallets. Uh. <laughs> I think that's how you convince player characters that. Their players should never trust you again and that they should call the police. Ah, <laughs> uh, yeah, but... <laughs> the truth of that joke is that a player character who is determined not to trust an NPC will never trust an NPC. Like, I had this happen in one of my own games. Uh, a friend of mine didn't trust my player character for no good reason, and I'm kind of... Uh, he tried to roll the sense motive skill against me to see if I uh, was telling the truth. Well, I, I was telling the truth, but I rolled bluff anyway. And I said, like, you know, and, and, and so the one thing that I kept, you know, showing to him was like, no, 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 you believe me. Like, you have to at least. He's, he's, he's like, all right, I, I'm doing this. I don't believe you. And it's like, no, you believe me. The dice say that I am a convincing enough liar to tell you the truth. <laughs> <laughs> and I, I started doing it so that like uh, what he would do he'd he'd roll sense motive against me and I'd just say all right I'm rolling a one I, I'm gonna I'm gonna flub my uh my what's it called uh um uh, my sense motive bluff check roll. yeah I'm gonna flub my I'm gonna flub my bluff roll and tell him a just an out and out lie like I I'm doing this 
<laughs> it's like, yeah. so all you know is that I'm not doing this. Yeah. The sky is purple, and I am setting all the grass on fire as you're yeah. sitting there with a garden hose watering, yeah. the, you know, watering the lawn. Yeah, it's just like, it's like, what are you doing? This. You better not be doing anything suspicious. What the heck? I mean, yes, my dastardly evil plan to do burgers on the grill is nearing its end. <laughs> yeah, it, it was just, it was, it was just, it was ridiculously funny. Like the lengths I had to go to, like this guy. It's like, look, I'm, I'm not doing anything wrong. You just don't trust me for some weird reason. Like, <laughs> yeah, it's like, um. I can just picture this in like a comic game going to just an absurd level, like. <laughs> The, the character's given, like, the Nobel Prize and stuff, and he comes out, and the other guy's like, I've got my eye on you. <laughs> Trying really? to help orphans and and disabled children? What dastardly plans are you cooking up? I'm using them for fuel. <laughs> <laughs> it's my dastardly plan. I'm going to use them all for fuel. Oh, I'll find out one of these days. But yeah, that's that's the sort of thing is you can't convince players who are dead set against not trusting someone, even if they have PC stamped on their forehead from trusting. And see that that's where I disagree in kind of a conditional way. Let me explain myself for a second here. I think you can probably get players to to start being a little bit more trust trusting towards NPCs if you do it in a metagame way where it's like, all right, look, guys, I, I understand you're playing adventurers. You know, these are all experienced, hardened people. They're going to be a little bit suspicious and stuff. This story does not move forward if you actively disbelieve everything everybody says to you. These people are on your this this little group of people that are necessary to my plot are on your side. I am promising you these guys are not going to do anything to screw you. This is the rest of the Enterprise crew in a Star Trek game. Would you please just believe that Jordy LaForge is the engineer so we can get the warp drive going to the next mission? <laughs> yeah, yeah, that, that is that is kind of ridiculous. Um, I would say that's not the length that I think this would go to because I would not probably ever say unless i was 100 percent certain that i'm never going to use these people as part of a double cross that these people will never double cross you because that as a writer as a person just takes tools out of your belt like and yeah but you see the thing is and i i understand what you're saying there mm -hmm. I, I guess perhaps like double cross and duplicity really isn't a tool that i need all that much in my belt mm-hmm I guess it's the difference between like a, a one of those interchangeable screwdrivers and then having a bunch of the ones that are just fixed, you know, ah. that are just a standard screwdriver. If I've got the interchangeable, I don't need the set of regular ones. Ah, so I use it like Parmesan cheese, sprinkle liberally everywhere. Uh, ah, okay. <laughs> I'm, I'm uh, uh, it's, it's actually a joke. I, I I don't know if I've actually completely screwed over a party with a person that they trusted ever. I definitely would not have done it without sense motive rolls. Now, if you roll sense motive rolls and you don't pick up anything, I am perfectly fine with this guy just completely lying to your face. I just put something on your GM's to-do list, didn't I? <laughs> Possibly. I don't. I don't <laughs> think so. Well, if if I'm probably going to try to start running Shadow, I'm dropping one of my games and running Shadow Run at one point, or you know something in the near future. Not like 
right now, but eventually I am going to run a 5th edition Shadowrun game or play in a 5th edition Shadowrun game because it just looks awesome. <laughs> and it would probably be a freeform thing where I go, all right, you're Shadowrunners. What do you want to do? Well, we want to find a job. Oh, roll on a random chart. Here's the job. I feel so vindicated in my love of double mumbo-jumbo settings, by the way. <sighs> okay. <laughs> well, as we explained, it's not double mumbo-jumbo. It's just, you know, single mumbo-jumbo. And that's perfectly fine. Like, like, there's a unifying theme as a plot reveal. It, it's, cyber, it's cyberpunk and fantasy. But they're all unified as one... <sighs> Like, I'm not, I'm not having the opposite argument that we've had twice now. And at the end of the end one, you said, wait, Brandon, it's this thing. And I went, oh, plot reveal. Okay. Yeah. Like, this is just another running gag. You do realize that. I know, I know, I know. I'm not, I don't actually hate you with the passion of a thousand suns yet. It's at 997 suns right now. 480 suns. I am a ball of rage. Anyway, uh, I I would probably say, look, guys, if you want to get some information, you have to start role playing your your, your character's uh, what's it called uh, sense motive roles. Like, if you want to roll sense motive, you can roll sense motive. But if you get a roll, you can't then just ignore it. Like right. role play. Yeah, role, I would probably in- instead push them towards more role playing their characters. And if they could give me a good and valid reason why this character would not trust this person, okay, fine. I'm, I think myself a good enough GM that I can adapt to that. Well, and... I mean, there are there are certain things where, like, to go back to the old, you know, like D and D Pathfinder, well, because it's such a, a common language. If you've got a if you've got a paladin or um, an inquisitor, and they do their alignment sense thing, and the alarm bells go off, like you know, warning, warning, evil here. They're probably not going to trust that person no matter how honest they are. Yeah. Because it's like, well, everything you've told me is the truth, but what are you not telling me? You know? Yeah. That you've that you've got up your sleeve. So I, I think um that probably leads into a segue in our third question, which is how do you effectively indicate that an NPC isn't trustworthy? Because as you mentioned, you do sometimes get overly trusting PCs that think that everything that an NPC tells them is just exposition and is therefore true. Sense motive rolls. I make a sense motive roll incredibly okay, easy. Be, beyond just doing it mechanically, because while I think that is definitely, speaking of tools in the toolbox, while I think that is definitely a vital tool, not every system has something like sense motive in it. And I, I think there's... Every system should. Like it's not always sense motive, but there's usually some kind of thing. Like even has even fate has a- empathy, which empathy well, is sense motive. Well, and like Gumshoe has BS detector and stuff like that. How do you effectively indicate that an NPC isn't trustworthy? Let's say above and beyond just the sense motive roles, because player characters can botch those. You can have somebody who's playing just like a barbarian, and they're not they're not accustomed to needing it. Um, and they happen to be the one who's talking to this guy. What? How do you give off that kind of shady vibe, or you know, maybe this guy's holding something back? And as a GM, if I'm committed that I want to tell my PCs that someone isn't trustworthy, I show them basically screwing over a friend or some other ally. Like they walk in or they oversee this guy, like going, "Oh, thanks," you know. It's like, all right, well, if you give me all your life savings. 
I won't, you know, send the cops after uh, your wife. And then he's like, oh, okay. He hands all his money over. As soon as the guy leaves, dude pulls out a phone, starts calling the cops. Like, oh, that guy can't be trusted. Like, showing them in other ways why they aren't trustworthy. Uh, or have other rumors going around about them. Or just, like, have them refuse to give information at certain things. Uh, that's a good way to let people know that they're hiding something, is if they won't talk about basically anything, you know that they can't really be trusted. Okay. Unless they can, and they're telling you the truth, but they can't tell you the whole truth, because secrets that destroy the universe, which I've had in my games. Okay. I, I think, Eck, I don't really have much to add to that. I think that's just about perfect. That's That's a very good, nice, neat, and very versatile technique. So... All right, and then the last one that we have on here for the in-the-game stuff is what happens when a PC isn't a trustworthy character? Games die. Yeah. They fall apart, and people go to the four corners of the Earth and are never seen and, again. And, and you joke and you use hyperbole, but there's a certain ring of truth to that unless it's something that's agreed upon at the very beginning of the game. Yeah. If you've got four people playing co-op and one playing team deathmatch, you have a problem. Unless it's known that they're playing Team Deathmatch, like the Fear the Boot thing where John played the rogue AI and tried to kill the party. Yeah, I mean, there are, there are definitely exceptions, and they, can, they definitely can be orchestrated. They can probably even come up organically occasionally, but I think once that starts happening, that needs to be a conversation or feelings are going to get hurt outside the game. Yeah. People are going to get ticked and... Yeah you're going to have problems in your group. Or it needs to be stopped immediately. Yeah. Um, Firefly is, is one of your points of reference, right? It's not yes. with Grant, but the episode where Jane kind of sells out the Tams yeah. and Mal is going to explosively decompress him as they're taking off and he actually expresses some remorse and Mal changes his mind. I'm not sure he was explosively decompressing him more than just letting all the air leak out and then letting him squeeze through the opening. Yeah. In any case, yeah. You can you can have a, a situation like that, I think, in your game and still keep things intact. Because at that point, somebody went through like a very short redemption arc where they did something wrong, regretted it, uh, want to make amends and are not going to do it again. And that that's that's some interesting drama, but it's not. It shouldn't necessarily yeah. end in the destruction of the unless, game. of course, as we mentioned, it's part of the game. Because in Monster Hearts, we had a really cohesive group for the first season of my Thursday game. The second season of my Thursday game, one of my players got very antagonistic because they started playing the mortal, which the mortal thrives on making everyone else's day a living nightmare. And he ended up actually selling out at least one member of the other group to sort of their personal big bad. Uh, it turned out that his betrayal was ultimately useless because everything that the player was trying to do was ultimately useless. And it also turned out that there was another person in the group that betrayed that character a whole heck of a lot more that she also got upset at. And so there was just you know, a huge thing there, but that was part of the game. He was now effectively on another side. He'd, he'd repeatedly swapped sides with the enemies, like, a couple times, like, oh no, I have to, I'm gonna go join the enemy team now. 
okay, I'm on the good guy's team. And so it was just, they, they couldn't, they knew they couldn't trust him, but that was part of the game, is you still have to somewhat work around him or work with him, because he exists, but he's not like this all-consuming obstacle that is going to stand in your path. But the, but the kind of the core concept of that character was that he was a wild card. Yeah. Or at least that's what it sounds like getting the summary you're giving me. Basically, he he was a wild card that I think the party would have said always came out against them. Because whenever he was on their side, he never really helped them. And then he would just, like, switch to the other side and then not really help them. So he was less a wild card and more of just a, why are you here? Like... He wasn't really a wild card so much as he was a two in the deck that just kept coming up. Uh. Yeah, it's like, no, no, it, 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 it was, it's the card from another game that's completely useless in this The one. Uno card in the, uh, in the standard Hoyle deck. Yeah, you're like, no, no, I can't. It's, why, why is this Uno why do I have Why do I have a swamp from Magic the Gathering in my deck of playing cards? All right. I have a king high and a swamp. <laughs> I also have a red two from Uno. What? <laughs> this is the worst game of poker ever. Yeah. I think this is the point at which Doc Holliday shoots me and I lose everything, including my life. <laughs> yeah, that is that is the interesting thing about that game is that it didn't destroy the game because that's how the game was run. I mean, you can easily work around one player working against you. You can almost work around an entire... Uh, group working against you if you're very creative and very good. But of course, the more people against you, the worse things get. Of course, right. when I play Monster Hearts, things go bad for everyone. Like, it is it is a fiasco no matter what happens, because well, just... Once again, it's boom. teenagers, so it yeah. tends to be a fiasco with... <clears throat> anyway, um, the last thing that we've got is... How do you handle trust around the table? Because I think sometimes that can be a real problem and it can kind of be the sort of thing that simmers. Have you ever really had any difficulty with that? Well, or? like, I guess that depends on the length at which trust around the table matters or is is being violated I well i would i would say there's without without going into too much depth, I would say that there's probably like mistrust out of game which is a major topic and <laughs> is probably better suited for something in you know like therapy or psychology or something like that i don't think we can really if you don't if you don't trust your friends they're probably not your friends and you have a bigger problem than we can address on a role-playing podcast well actually we have a perfect problem it's if you have people who you don't trust at the gaming table don't game with them yeah I actually had someone in one of my games that I didn't trust. And so I kind of went to this person and was like, look, yeah. uh, I can't game with you anymore because I can't trust you. I, I so... think I think probably the the one important piece of advice here is make sure that you, you are as trustworthy as possible. Respect yeah. everybody else's lines and veils. Uh, if you promise to do something outside of game, follow through. You know, don't cheat on your die rolls, that sort of thing. Yeah. Follow and, through and apologize if you don't, because mistakes yeah. happen. Yeah, but. sometimes, you know, life intervenes and something, you know. Sorry, guys, I can't make game. I have a funeral to go to, which I'm pretty sure actually happened to me once this year. I've been to four in the last 12 months. So. I'm sorry. Eh. Or you, you could also like, sorry, guys, <clears throat> I um uh, I forgot to get the chips. 
Like, yeah. Yeah, not even something like that. It's like, yeah, I promise I'll bring the chips. I promise I'll bring the chips. I forgot the chips. I'm sorry. Like, yeah. uh, we have we have two options here. We can either go without chips, or I can make a quick run to the gas station. Your choice. And the game might, yeah, and the and depending on how uh, interest, how important my character is, the game might be might be delayed, or at least you'll have to catch me up when I get back, which yeah. could be a hindrance to the game no matter what. But yeah, it's 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 fine with that. Uh, but yeah, if, if you don't have people that you don't trust at your gaming table, don't game with those people. Like, especially since, like, I would not go bowling with people who I didn't really trust. Okay, I might go with bowling with some people who I didn't really trust, but, like, bowling for me is, like, a one-time thing, and then it's done. Like, these are people who you're having over at your house, or you're going over to someone else's house regularly. And it also depends on how much you can't trust them. Like... Can, it's oh I can't trust you to you know remember to bring chips. All right, I can game with you. Uh, I can't trust you to uh, respect my friends or me. No, I can't. I can't game with you. Yeah, it's 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 a no brain situation that we've talked about for entirely too long. Because my final comment is just don't do it. If you're ha- uh, but if there's like trust issues that are coming up, like. Let's say some people look like they they aren't starting to trust each other because someone, let's say the rogue, is stealing well, and everything. There's one specific case of that that I'd like to address, and that's we played something that's deliberately adversarial, like Fiasco or something, on week one, and now we're back to week two, and we're in a co-op game, and player A still doesn't trust player B because of something that he did in the Fiasco game. At that point, I kind of have to pull player A aside and be like, hey, look, dude, do you really... F-? Like, that was that was a game. Like, I mean, I was playing... Fia- we were playing Fiasco. I wanted to murder you all. Like, I, yeah, I'm the GM, so that's my normal state of being, but, I mean, like... Well, and you're also a supervillain, so... Mm-hmm, yeah. Like, and, and it's, it's, it's like, look, we, we, had this, we had this thing going, so let's not ruin it, which was a really great... And so you just have to have a talk with them. You just have to sit them down and say, hey, look, this is this is how we're going to go. If you have a problem, we need to discuss it. We need to get it out in the open. Like, why are you upset that in the fiasco game, this character did this thing? Or in the Trouble with Rose, he did this thing. Or in the game of Monopoly. Or in the small one-shot of Savage Worlds we played. Like, that this guy messed you over. I mean, I get that it's not a good thing that he turned on the party and did it, but it was a one-shot game, and... Yeah, or it was a board game, or it was, Mm -hmm. yeah. Like, some people are just ruthless in Monopoly, which is why I don't play Monopoly. Oh, which is, like, the other reason in in Dresden Files. The one, like, the monster was going to die, like, probably the next turn. I did not have to use my death curse to to defeat it. But I used my death curse... Because I really wanted to get a character up on the wall, because that got me extra achievement points, and I am that desperate for, you know, a validation. <laughs> but um, the also, because um, I, I was never going to use a death curse, ever. Because you have to think, and it made sense for this character to use a death curse. Like, with the way I built him, he was up against a big threat, and I almost used the death curse the first time I saw the monster. This was like the end of the second fight we'd had with this thing. And I was like, all right, well, fine, let's let's do this. And it was near the end of the session. I'm like, 
Alright, I'm not ruining anything. I'm not losing out of anything. I'm never playing this character again in this game. Death Curse. Let's do it. Let me blow <laughs> the dude all over the world. Very cool. And I did it. Alright, um, anything else you want to throw into this one before we wrap it up? Or? <sighs> not really. Not that I can think yeah, of. Yeah, I don't think so. Save either. Against Fear 2015. Be there. You too, Peter. Yeah, if I, I can swing it. <laughs> I won't grant to be there. That is a financial thing for me. I can afford um, Fear the Con because it's close. Save Against Fear is a little bit more of a stretch. I'm hoping, uh, but I'm trying to be realistic, too. <laughs> yeah, I'm hoping to get a big, huge group and head on up. So hopefully we'll have a couple hotel rooms split amongst a couple different people. So that That is also less of a cost. I mean, yeah, that would be good. All right. Um, I guess we're going to leave it there, folks. Thanks for listening and uh, have a good one. See ya. This podcast episode is a production of Saving the Game and may be redistributed under a Creative Commons non-commercial, non-derivative license so long as appropriate credit is given. Our music is by Ryan Humphrey. Saving the Game is syndicated through inroadsministries.com, rpgpodcasts.com, stitcher.com, and iTunes. To hear past episodes and to connect with us or our community of listeners, visit our website at savingthegamepodcast.org. God bless, and happy gaming.